Good morning. Uh, we have made it, beloved, uh, into the final verses of the book of Luke. Some of you, when I said that we're going to be in Luke for a year and a half, you were like, what? A year and a half? Uh, well, here we are. We've made it. And in my estimation, in hindsight, it seems quick that we've finally come here. So uh, uh, we, my community group, just this past week, took the time to recount all the many ways that the Lord has taught us about himself through this book. I hope that would be, uh, that you would do the same thing. Maybe, maybe this afternoon you would take the opportunity to just recount the many ways that God has met you and taught you and instructed you about His Word from the book of Luke. Just recounting everything back, way back to Luke 1 all the way through. Uh, think about that. Uh, and just so you know where we're going next week, uh, I'm gonna do a summary sermon of Luke by using the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. The following week, uh, Ray Chen is going to open up Luke's second volume, the book of Acts. And there he'll talk about the advance of this gospel uh, to the nations in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Witnesses Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Joey will come back the following week and do a sermon on the church. Because as, uh, as the apostles witnessed, churches would form. And Joey's going to talk about from the book of Acts what the church is and what the church is like as that gospel advanced in the book of Acts. And there we'll kind of summarize all of Luke's work uh, in the Bible. The following week, Winston Morrison will preach to us from Psalm 131. And then we'll take a couple months to um, do something that I'm calling COVID exposures. Uh, the ways that COVID has exposed our need to understand some things more carefully. So we'll have sermons on things like uh, our, our needing to understand the need to assemble as a church. We'll talk about the need to uh, have holy habits, to have developed good habits to direct us towards holiness. We'll also talk about things like uh, loneliness and fear. We'll do that a number of sermons. Again, COVID exposures, the way that COVID has exposed our need to understand some things more carefully. And then we will get into a new book. I'm tempted to tell you what it is, but I'm about 97% sure of what I want to do. So I'm going to wait. But it will be from the Old Testament. And it'll probably be in those first five books called the Pentateuch. There you go. I'll leave it there. But for now... Uh, brothers and sisters, we turn our attention in the book of Luke to the ascension, to the ascension of Christ. If the resurrection is the oh yeah of Christian doctrines, I can't help but wonder, I dare say that the ascension is the huh or the I don't know of Christian doctrines. If you were to ask the average Christian, what is the importance of the ascension for the Christian I wonder if many of them will be able to answer much. I think they might, many of them say, huh? Or, I don't know. And so as I said last week, and I'm going to say it again this week, if the average Christian is barely able to explain in totality the cross and the accomplishment of the cross, namely, they're barely aware of justification, that is, imputation of righteousness. They're barely aware of propitiation, quenching the anger of God. They're barely aware of redemption at the cross, the way in which Christ bought us back. Expiation, how he sent our sins away. Adoption, how he brings us into his family. If they're barely aware of what is accomplished in the cross, and a Christian is barely aware at all of the resurrection, and then thirdly, they're barely aware of the ascension. Well that friends. Is a recipe for a defeated Christian life. And so if you're struggling to get on in the Christian life. Often feeling defeated or worn down. 
Oh, beloved, renew your understanding of what was accomplished in the cross, in the resurrection, and in the ascension. A robust understanding and a daily rehearsal of what was accomplished in these things on our behalf for the glory of Christ. These are the keys, guys, to a glorious and beautiful and powerful Christian life. Which is why, by the way, all of the gospel writers slow down to explain those three things. And so as to the ascension, if you're wondering about its accomplishment, well, you're in a good place. Take a look at Luke chapter 24, verse 50. These are the final words of Luke. Here's what it says. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. God, thank you for your word. We pray that you would illumine our eyes to see the accomplishment of Christ in the ascension. Amen. Now, as we read these passages here, these final words, it seems as though there's not much here. Kind of seems like a bit of a postscript, you know, kind of summing up the story. Uh, And yet the reality is, friends, when we weave this passage in the larger tapestry of Scripture, we know that these events here, the ascension of Christ from the earth into heaven, is of major consequence. Because they answer the question, the ascension answers two questions. Namely, where is Jesus now and what is he doing? So let's go ahead and answer those questions. Where is he? What's he doing? After 40 post-resurrection days, Jesus leads the disciples outside of Jerusalem to a nearby village called Bethany. Right? That's what we saw. And you'll recall it's from here. You guys remember that it was that final week where at this same place where Jesus is coming down uh, from Bethany into Jerusalem. When Jesus looks upon the city of Jerusalem and weeps over her adultery. He's in that same place. And as he's there, he lifts up his hands, he blesses them, and as he does this, he's carried up into heaven. And we know from the book of Acts that the angels visit the disciples at this point, and they inform those disciples that as he has gone, so will he return. And it's tempting to think that Luke doesn't say much of anything here. But remember what Jesus said. Remember what Luke told us Jesus said to that council back in Luke 22. Do you remember that? Remember when he's on trial at that first trial of the council of the Sanhedrin. Do you remember what he said to them? Remember they asked him, who do you think that you are? Are you the Christ? And Jesus, remember, said, I'm not going to tell you because if I do, you're not going to believe. But then he told them the thing that made them want to condemn him. Do you remember what that was? Jesus said, from now on, The Son of Man, that was his title for himself, shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. In the face of his accusers and his impending humiliation and condemnation, Jesus knew where he was going. For the joy set before him, this ascension, he endured the cross. And he was going, according to that statement in Luke 22, he was going to sit down at the right hand of the power of God. And that, beloved, is where Jesus is. 
So kids, if you're wanting to know where Jesus is, he still has his body. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has not lost his glorified and resurrection body. In fact, he has gone to offer that body in the true Holy of Holies. He has gone to offer himself to his Father in heaven on our behalf. See, the book of Hebrews, guys, rehearses these realities with great precision. Listen to Hebrews 9.24, describing this ascension and this coming in. For Christ has entered, it says, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So, in other words, you remember the temple? Remember the temple uh, was where the presence of God was said to dwell? Remember there was two rooms. There was the holy place at the front, and then there was the holy of holies behind that front, the deeper inner realm, where the presence of God was said to dwell. And it was only in that holy of holies, the front place, uh, a priest would go in and out of every day. But in that holy of holies, the deeper realm, you remember, a high priest could only go in there on one day of the year. Do you all remember what day that was? The day of atonement. What does he do? What was he to do when he would go into that presence of God? He would go in there to sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice as an offering for the sins of God's people. And here in Hebrews 9, the author tells us that those things, that activity, that day of atonement, that was a copy of the heavenly things. And so on this day, Jesus, the day of his ascension, Jesus ascended into the true holy of holies, the true temple, the heavenly realm where the true and forever sacrifice is being offered there in the presence of the Father. And notice that Hebrews says that he does this on our behalf, on behalf of those that have trusted uh, in the sufficiency of Christ's work to be represented at the seat of the Father. You see, friends, our, our sin requires justice. And Jesus goes to satisfy that justice on our behalf. Hebrews 6 says it like this. Hebrews six nineteen to 20. We have this, notice the word is have. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Anybody here want a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul in the midst of these days? We have it in Christ. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone. There's the ascension where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The author then goes on to say right after this in Hebrews seven twenty-three to 25, this is so important. He says, the former priests, that's the Old Testament, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. In other words, they died. But he, the resurrected and ascended Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, here's the application. Consequently, this is what Jesus is doing since he's gone in. He Jesus has overcome sin and death. He's able to go into the Father. He is able to save to the uttermost. Everybody in the world? No. Those who draw near to God through him, through Jesus, since he 
always, I repeat, always, always, always lives to make intercession for them. That amazing, that verse. So where did Jesus go on the day of ascension? Where is he now? He's gone to the heavenly father. To the inner realm. The true heavenly of holies. And what is he doing? He is playing the role of the great and forever high priest since he's overcome sin and death. He has entered into the inner realm of the Father and he is pleading, beloved, the merits of his blood for his people forever. And because he does this, because he's doing it forever, pleading the merits of his blood, because he's able to do this, he's, he's able then to save to the uttermost since he always, always, always lives to make intercession for us that believe. And this is amazing. Now to be clear, sometimes when you hear that Jesus is making intercession for us to the Father, you might conclude, well, does that mean the Father doesn't like us and he needs? No. Remember, it was the Father that in love sent the Son. So this is a happy intercession between the two. What is going on right now in heaven as we speak is our big brother Jesus, the great high priest, is seated at the right hand of the heavenly father, reminding him day after day that he has paid our debt and has transferred his righteousness to us that believe. That's what he's doing. So right now as we sin, as we fail, as we fall short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans, Jesus is always interceding for you by name. For you, Stephen. For you, Christy. For you, Micah. Every single one of you. He's saying, she's mine. He's mine. I've paid for him. I've given him my righteousness. They're clean. He's praying to the Father time after time. And the Father's receiving that prayer and going, yes, yes, yes. That's what's happening right now in heaven. And notice that he doesn't save. Jesus doesn't save for the most part. Is that what it says in Hebrews? He says, no, he saves to the uttermost. Right? The Christian gospel does not, like, Jesus died and he rose from heaven. And then, you know, he's done a lot. So it's up to you to do the rest of the work. No, he saves to the uttermost. He finishes it. He completes salvation. And he's interceding for G- to the Father on behalf of us in light of that. So Jesus is happy to plead for us the merits of his blood. The Father is happy to hear those prayerful intercessions day after day. And beloved, let this inform the heart of God to you. That this is what God's like. He's happily hearing these prayers for you day after day. This is what was accomplished in the ascension. But friends, that is not all. There's a second major thing that was accomplished in the ascension. The other accomplishment of the ascension is that Jesus goes to sit down at the right hand of the power of God. So it is on this day of the ascension that Jesus comes into the true holy of holies. And Jesus not only pleads the merit of his blood. He's not only always interceding for us, reminding the father of his work. But also on that day. It is on this day that Jesus sits down and his administration begins. That the reign, his reign of king of kings and lord of lords. It is on this day that he goes and has all authority over heaven and on earth. 
Listen to Peter as he talks about this reign of Christ, this now all-encompassing rule of Christ because of the ascension. Listen to him on the day of Pentecost at Acts 2, verse 34 to 35. He's referencing David, a previous king. And then he asked the question. He said, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, David says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool to David knew that Christ would sit and rule over his enemies. And that's what Peter says on the resurrection or at the ascension. Paul goes on to talk about this in Ephesians 1, 19 to 23. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. There's the ascension. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Then Peter goes on to write in 1 Peter 3, 21, 22, the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven, there's the ascension, and is, is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The power of Christ over all things. He goes to sit down and bring about his administrative rule over all things. Jesus, where is Jesus? He is seated, meaning his work is finished. He is seated at the right hand of the power of God. And that tells us what he's doing. He's always interceding for us who believe. And secondly, he's administering his all-encompassing authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, if I can surmise this, what happened on the ascension? There his great high priesthood began and there his great kingship began. And you might wonder in relation to this rule of Christ, how is he ruling? How is he bringing about his, all of his enemies and making them his foot. So how is Jesus doing that from heaven? That's a great question. I was asked that this week. I wonder how you would answer that question. How is the Father making all of Jesus' enemies a footstool? Well, this is why Jesus said that strange statement to the disciples, that it is better that I leave. Why would it ever be better that Jesus leave? And his answer was, so that he could send the helper. He could send the Holy Spirit. So the Father, having received the merits of the blood, the body and the sacrifice of Christ, come into the Holy of Holies. He pleased that on that true day of atonement in the Holy of Holies. He's then able, the Father, the Son, are able to then send the Spirit. And what would the Spirit do upon its inception into the world? Well, Jesus says in John sixteen thirteen to 14, When the spirit of truth comes, here's what he'll do. He will guide you into all truth. There's him bringing about the rule of Christ. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Oh. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Here it is in short form. He says, Jesus says, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
So the spirit of the omnipresent power of Christ uh, is is the spirit is the om, is the omnipresent power of Christ enabling its rule, enacting the rule of Christ on the earth, the redemptive rule of Christ. That's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is the redemptive rule of Christ, and the spirit is applying that rule through the conviction of one sinner after another. The Spirit is applying the blessings of Christ's sacrificial work to everyone that is repenting and believing and following the King. And one by one, as He turns those enemies, we enemies of God, into sons and daughters of God, what He does is He then gathers them together into churches. Right here. We're watching the power of His rule as sinners come together and sit under His Word. As the Spirit... uh, creates these communities, these embassies of the kingdom, wherein we are changed by his word. The spirit convicts us of sin. He turns us into the way of righteousness as he turns us to Jesus. As the spirit comforts us in our sorrows, as he strengthens us towards love and good deeds, as these communities, these churches are built. And slowly, as these churches are built all over the world, as the Spirit is doing the work to bring about the redemptive rule of Christ everywhere, Jesus, often indiscernibly in the sight of the world, he invades the darkness and turns on the light of the kingdom of heaven while we are still here on the earth. Which is why you can go most everywhere on planet earth and when you see the church gather under the word of Christ to worship him, there you are seeing his all-encompassing authority, something that no nation has ever been able to accomplish. And eventually, this gospel will advance and these communities of churches will so pop up everywhere. Eventually, a day will come when Jesus will return and he will bring heaven to earth where he will finally have what he purchased on the cross and he will have what he prayed for in that model prayer that we prayed this morning, that his kingdom would come on the earth as it is in heaven. That's the final chapter. That's what we wait on. But here, beloved, we see how the Trinity is working all things together to bring about the good of those that love him. The Father receiving the intercession of the Son, the Son ruling through the power of the Spirit here on the earth, and we, his happy-hearted servants, gladly bend the knee to Jesus as we bend the knee to his word. And it changes us from the inside out, from one degree of glory to the other. That's what he's doing. But there's one more thing that he's doing that I'll mention only briefly. He not only lives to make intercession, he not only rules in his power, but as he leaves, remember he said he promises that when he goes, that he goes to prepare a place for us. That where he is, there we might be with him also. And that's a great transition to uh, apply what the ascension means for us as Christians. See what this applies. Did you notice, by the way, the joy, the shift in the joy of the disciples in this passage, Luke 24? Do you see the shift in the joy? Look at verse 41. Chapter 24, verse 41. Remember this part? Uh, last week or week before, they encounter, the disciples encounter the risen Christ. They think they're seeing some kind of the ghost. Jesus shows them that he's not, that he's, that he's flesh and blood. And it says, they disbelieved for joy. In other words, it seemed too good to be true. But now, in our passage today, after 40 days have passed in the resurrection, we read in verse 52, we read that, the, that at the ascension, the disciples worship 
Jesus. Something, by the way, that only God should receive. The disciples worship Jesus and they return to Jerusalem just as they were told with what? You say it. Great joy. Right? So it's changed. Do you see that shift? They went from, when they went from unbelief to belief, and not only the resurrected Jesus, but also uh, coming to believe that Jesus suffered in their place as an atoning sacrifice for their sin, that's when they saw the totality of who Jesus is, of what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for them in the ascension. They see all of that. And then they worship Jesus with great joy. And they do so continually going to the temple, blessing God. Just a note about that. Some of you are a little confused about us blessing God. Blessing God there means in the context praising God. Praising God. God lacks for nothing. right? We lack a lot. He lacks for nothing. We need to be blessed. He doesn't need anything. Uh, But here the blessing of God means to, uh, they're having great worship uh, they're having great joy in the worship of the risen Christ, and that lifts the praises of them to God, which is denoted as blessing God. But these disciples are exalting, enjoying, worshiping the great high priest, the great king, the great preparer. These guys now, these disciples, seem settled in the sovereign Christ. And that led them to worship Jesus, which led them to great joy in Jesus. Does anybody here want great joy? I do. Well, look no further than the risen and ascended Christ. See, beloved, the connection between the worship of Christ and great joy. They necessarily go together. Remember the songs of those angels that did the very same thing on the night of Jesus' birth. We, we read it this morning. I bring you good news of, you say it, great joy. For unto you is born this day a Savior that is Christ the Lord. Right? They're, they're reflecting on the sovereignty of Christ. And the angels worship with great joy. So it is with the disciples. And so the worship of Christ, friend, is not a way to great joy. It is the way to great joy. Because uh, all good things come from the fountain. And the fountain of joy is Christ himself. So again, let's uh, close our time by applying the benefits of the ascension. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about the benefits of the cross. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the blessings or the uh, applications, the benefits of the resurrection. Let's now apply the benefits of the ascension. Two applications here. Here's the first. It's in the priestly realm. First application. If it's true, and it is, that Christ is always interceding For you, beloved, for us as a church, that he saves to the other most, then listen, no matter how good or bad your prayer life is, the Son of God is praying for you. The Son of God always lives to pray for you. Therefore, here's the application, rest in Christ's love for you. Jesus is gladly reminding his father who gladly receives the the reminder that he's paid your debt in full, that he's giving you his righteousness and he is for you. God is not against us. Who can be against us? He gladly, he loves you. And so now, because that's happening, he's always making intercession. Now, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. 
That's the exact application that Paul gives to the Roman church. He goes, he moves from the ascension into the love of Christ. Listen, Romans 8, 34 to 35. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that. Now, wait a minute. You should pause. More than that? What's more than the cross? Well, according to Paul, who was raised and who is, circle that, is, 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 is at the right hand of God, who is present, active, always, who is always interceding for us. That's what Paul says. And so what does it mean, Paul? What's the application? Well, look at the next verse, verse 35, Romans 8, 35. Well, then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, COVID, (laughs) political unrest, cultural revolutions? No, because in all these things, we are not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us in the ascension. Oh, friends, so many people are looking to be loved, aren't they? Maybe you want to be loved. There are lonely people, weak people, forgotten people, abused people. They don't fit in with the crowd and you just want to be loved. And sadly, what our culture is telling us is to look in in order to be loved. And God's going, no, that's not the place. You need to look up in order to find love. Up to the seated Savior who as a great high priest is praying for you because he loves you, because he died for you, rose for you, ascended for you. Look up, not in. Die to self, live to Christ. His love never fails. And the way that we know that it never fails is because he always lives to make intercession for you that believe. He always reminds the Father of what he's done for you and who you are in him. That's your identity. And even when you screw it up, and when I screw it up, and you screw it up bad, he continues on because he's always interceding. That's what he always does. That's what he's doing. Christian, Christ is praying for you. And because he loves you, he continues to pray for you. And therefore, you can rest in him as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. First application, rest in the glad-hearted, always intercession of Christ for you. Nothing can separate you from his love. He always lives to pray for you, pleading the merits of his blood, saving you day by day to the uttermost. Rest in Jesus' love. Second application. This is it. This is in the kingly realm. Do not grieve the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sends the Spirit to us as a helper as an advocate, as a comforter. But by telling us that we should not grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul then implies that we can make our lives as Christians weaker than they need to be. So then how is it we live in the power of the resurrection and the ascension? How do we live in the rule or the might of Christ who is seated at the right hand of the power of God? Well, according to Jesus, again, in John 16, 14, the Spirit's work is to glorify Jesus, take what is His, declare it to us. And so therefore, here it is, beloved, wherever you are not interested in glorifying Jesus, or as the disciples did, worshiping Jesus, but instead you are living to glorify yourself or your own desires that are apart from Him, there you quench the Spirit. There you quench the power of God. 
The Spirit's job is to glorify Christ. And if you are seeking to glorify self, you quench the Spirit. You quench the power of God. You seek to live in your own power instead of the power that is available to you at the right hand of the power of God. And this, guys, explains why so many Christians are living oftentimes uh, stress-filled, anxiety-filled lives that are just full of exhaustion. And I've done this. We try and control our lives instead of seeking to be controlled by the Spirit. And so the way into the victorious, life-giving, free life, powerful life of Christ is to glorify Christ in all things. The great joy, beloved, is found in worshiping and glorifying Jesus in all things. And so put down all of your efforts to make a name for yourself. And instead, as verse 48 and 49 says, be clothed by the power from on high and be his witnesses. As you, verse 52, as you worship Jesus in all things. Seek, beloved, to make a name for him in your jobs, in your families, in your singleness, in your marriages, in your friendships, in your hobbies. Listen, in your entertainment choices, glorify Christ. Seek to witness to a watching world that Christ is king. All glory is his. The spirit of Christ, friend, will help you towards that great end. Remember, the spirit is willing. It's the flesh that's weak. The spirit will not help you to give you your best life now. It's not what he's mainly interested in. He is aiming to give you your best life then with him in heaven. Which, by the way, you are currently seated with Christ in heaven. Since you're united to him. That's, an, that's a whole series sermon right there. I can't even go there. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, rest in the arisen and ascended Christ who always seeks to intercede for you. Rest in his sure and steadfast love for you as he prays and pleads the merits of his blood and saves you to the othermost. Rest in his love. And secondly, lean upon the spirit of Christ to witness to a world that all glory and power are his, the one that came to save us. All glory and power are his. Worship the risen Christ and find great joy. And know, beloved, that as you do, you will know, you will have certainty regarding the things that you have been taught in the king and the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we pray to you, we have learned this morning that you pray for us. Always. No matter how much we screw it up, you, Jesus, are interceding for us pleading the merits of your blood to the Father. And the Father is so happy to hear those. May we rest in your love. Jesus, we thank you that you, not only the great high priest, but the great king, you have seated, you have all authority. God, teach us to worship and glorify you that we might know and enjoy your power. And may we not try to live in our own power, but instead bend to your rule by bending to the Spirit as he seeks to form us in the worship of Christ. We love you and we thank you, Jesus, that you are seated. We now wait for the final chapter for heaven to come on earth. May it come soon, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.